you know, that's one of the most amazing aspects of college is you get to have these intense connections with people from all types of different backgrounds and interface and, and you literally are limiting your education if you're only interacting with a subset of that much wider group. Welcome to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom, a podcast where we provide insights, tips, and inspiration for college students and young professionals so they can make a really successful transition from college life to the professional world and beyond. My name is Andy Malinsky, and I'm your host. I'm also a professor of organizational behavior and international management at Brandeis University's International Business School, where we record and produce this podcast. So our guest today is Seth Goldman. Seth is a change maker in the food industry. He did it first with Honest Tea the organic and fair trade beverage brand he launched out of his house in 1998 with co-founder Barry Nailbuff, his former Yale School of Management professor. Uh, Now that Honest Tea has been acquired by the Coca-Cola company, Seth continues to play a role with the company, but has also taken on an additional role as executive chairman of Beyond Meat, a fast-growing plant-based protein that's redefining the way we eat meat Seth, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Andy. Good to be with you. So we just heard your impressive bio. (laughs) Um, I'd love to start at the beginning, though. You know, tell us about your college experience. Where did you go to college? What did you major in? Did you like it? Just just what was college like? And then sort of bring us to the point where you were kind of just about to leave college and and go on, you know, into the the quote-unquote real world. Sure. Yeah, I went to Harvard uh, College. And uh, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I think it was not the typical experience. I was um, probably more focused on my extracurricular activities than my academics. I mean, I, I you know, I, I did complete all my courses, and I majored in government, and I, I you know, I, I graduated with honors. But I, I was um, most of my time and activities was involved. I, I in just doing things aside from from school. So I was on the track team. I was um, in a music group. I was involved with student government. I was involved with political organizations, and then um, I was in a, a musical at one point as well. So I was um, starting up all types of different organizations. I started up a, a, a music group uh, freshman year, and then um, started a few other different things. So um, for me, it was just a buzz of activity the whole time. And and I realized that um, all of that activity was really a preparation for being an entrepreneur. Even though I wasn't, do- I really didn't start any any businesses uh, in college. I was getting used to this idea of multitasking, uh, interacting with lots of different people around lots of different issues. And so it really was um, an entrepreneurial college experience. And what was your first job? What did you do right after college? Well, right after college, so my major was on comparative government. I had studied how Soviet Union, uh, which of course became Russia and China, were changing and evolving. And it was so interesting that I wanted to see it firsthand. And um, so uh, I actually had applied. They had some Harvard had some travel fellowships. I applied for them. I didn't get them. And then I realized I didn't need the fellowship to, you know, not getting a fellowship didn't 
prevent me from going to those countries. So I uh, ended up getting um, a job teaching English in China. So I did that for a year. And then I got um, a job teaching English in Russia. And I got to do that for a year and a year and a half, actually. And so uh, those you know, also were entrepreneurial undertakings going into these countries where I didn't really speak the language. I didn't really know uh, many people and figuring out how to you know, make a living. And, and of course, interacting with lots of new people. So, you know, those were also entrepreneurial um, existence, uh, you know, and opportunities that I had. It's funny, you know, a lot of college students that I come into contact with nowadays want to be entrepreneurs, want to create something. And, you know, it's, it's funny that, you know, if I said to them, you should go off and teach English in China and Russia, that's your path right. to success. <laughs> yeah, I think a mistake people assume is that the only way to be an entrepreneur or to prepare yourself to be an entrepreneur is by working for an entrepreneurial company. And, you know, really the way to be, um, to prepare yourself is to do entrepreneurial things. And so putting yourself in unfamiliar situations and figuring out how to, how to cope and how to navigate that's, um, that's entrepreneurial work, you know, going into, uh, um, a country or, or just a, a community where you, where you don't know people and sort of building your own networks. Those are entrepreneurial things. So, you know, th- those experiences I had both in college and after college were very formative for me. Certainly, uh, you know, while it can be intimidating to, la- to launch a, a company and, you know, going to this, you know, for me, the beverage industry was a place I had no prior experience. It was also scary. To- I remember one night in China, I had traveled into Hunan. It was a place I was just curious to see. And I got out of the train. It was about midnight. And I realized that for probably, you know, hundreds of millions of people around me, no one knew me. So it was a pretty wild experience. Um, you know, just walking. I didn't speak the language, walking into a dark city where there was nobody I could call or, or talk to. That's, uh, that, that's intimidating, too. And I thought, well, if I can do that, I can certainly figure out how to put tea in a bottle. <laughs> I mean, we should contextualize this, too, because you, like me, I'm assuming here went went and did these things. I also lived abroad too when I was when I was younger. But this is pre-internet. You didn't hop on your you know <laughs> yeah. iPhone. Yeah, there's no way to tell me how to get anywhere or, or yeah. no no translator thing. Yeah, or FaceTiming your your friends and parents, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so then, tr- bring us from um, from uh, Russia and China to I guess the next stop here that seems important to talk about is, is Yale. What, 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 what came between those and in, in your yeah. business? Yeah. Well, there were some very important stops along the way. One was that uh, when I got back from Russia, I reconnected with some of the, I mentioned I worked in some political organizations. When I got to back from Russia, I connected with some folks who, in, who had been part of uh, Mike Dukakis's organization. I had, I had, um, was in charge of his campaign at Harvard when he was running for governor. And uh, by the time I returned, he was running for president and had become the Democratic um, presidential nominee. So I ended up getting doing advance work where I would go, once again, entrepreneurial work. I would go into a city and help set up an event for him. So basically get on the ground and in some, you know, it could be any city around the country and uh, put together a campaign event in three days, uh, working with some other people and, of course, people on the ground in that community. I was doing it actually for Lloyd Benson, who was um, the running mate of Dukakis. And, uh, you know, that was, 
that was important work, not just because it helped me get exposed to the political world, and I eventually ended up working for Benson, but I most importantly met my woman who became my wife doing that work. Uh, and so that was <laughs> you know, something that, uh, you know, although the campaign ended up not becoming, they didn't win, uh, but you know, my wife and I are still together. So from my point of view, it was a successful campaign. And then, of course, I ended up working for Benson, um, who did uh, run for the Senate at the same time, and he was reelected, and, and I ended up working for him. How long did you, did you How long did you work for him, and in what capacity? Uh, for two and a half years. So that was what I did after I returned and before I went to business school. And then um, when Benson, just before Benson left um, his Senate office to go work at the Treasury, I went up to Baltimore and I launched a, a demonstration program for what became AmeriCorps. And so that was a chance for me to manage a group of people um, and run, a, 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 I guess, my first mission-driven organization. And that was something that I really liked and um, got excited about. And for me, then, this, that going to business school was, you know, uh, uh, with the goal of helping prepare me to, to run a larger organization. It's interesting. It's, it's uh, so far... You know, it's an, I, I kind of know the moral of the story or the, or the ending of the story, but it's I, I don't know if I would have predicted <laughs> where, where, where this is all going. No, no, so far, we have yet to talk about uh, any any work, you know, putting liquid in a bottle, right? <laughs> right. So tell us so so tell us about honest tea. I I, I I'm a fan actually. I I, I used to drink Thank honest you. tea in the um in the glass bottles. You yep. know, when it first came out. Um, I was a big fan. My wife's a huge fan. She's a huge tea drinker. We both uh, have loved it. Um, t- just tell us about the story of how you come up with it. I think people would be interested. Sure, yeah. So um, one thing, as I mentioned, is that I ran track in college. And so um, when you run a lot, you're thirsty a lot. And so I was always um, dissatisfied with the drinking, uh, the refreshment options um, in bottles. And so you know, I just couldn't drink the sports drinks. They were too sweet. And I tried drinking bottled tea and those were too sweet. And um, that idea crystallized when I was in business school and my professor, Barry Nailbuff, um, we were doing a case study of the beverage industry and he asked if there was anything missing. And, and of course, the first answer is how could anything be missing when you walk on the beverage aisle? There's, you know, two walls of, <laughs> of beverages, you know. Um, but especially back in 1995 when I was Barry's student, what was missing was that there just weren't any less sweet drinks. They were all super sweet uh, or, or watery. And so Barry and I had talked about trying to do something about it. But when I was a student and, uh, you know, I was in my second year of business school, I was focused on trying to get a job and, and wasn't, you know, probably wasn't fully prepared to really launch a, bever- a company at that time. But eventually graduated from business school and then spent two and a half years working down here in Bethesda, Maryland, um, for an investment company. And um, after an, a presentation, went for a run and then got thirsty again and said, okay, I think I am ready to do something about this. And so I got in touch with Barry and he was um, still excited about the idea. And he had just come back from India where he had been studying the tea industry and had gained some insights, but had also come up with the name Honest Tea. And so you put together a, a great name with a, a really unique positioning um, opportunity. And uh, then, you know, I think the, the third part of the equation was me at a point in my life where I was ready to try something like this and it all came together. And that was enough for me to leave my job in the investment world and launch on a fee in my house. And then um, I managed to 
an appointment with the local Whole Foods buying office in Maryland and uh, brewed up five thermoses of tea in my kitchen and got an empty Snapple bottle that we pasted a label on and uh, brought it to the buyer and said, we want to sell this in your store. And uh, the buyer said, well, I'll give it a try. And he ordered 15,000 bottles. So we were in business. 15,000 bottles? Did you? <laughs> how did you fulfill that order? That was uh, that was one of those moments where I said, oh, that's great. And then, you know, in back in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, how am I going to make that happen? But I didn't tell him that. I just had to figure that out. And so um, once we got the order, I, I went around to bottling plants all up and down the East Coast and uh, talked to different, you know, everything from like a soda packing facility to a beer, a craft beer facility to a um, manufacturing plant for jellies. And eventually I found an apple juice packing plant up in Buffalo, New York that was willing to give it a try. And uh, we figured out it wasn't, it wasn't pretty, but there was a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, generations. It took a lot of creative thinking and a lot of problem solving, but we, we figured out how to make the tea and uh, delivered it to, so that, that happened in March of 1998 and we delivered before the end of May. So pretty quick turnaround from first order to, you know, we had to raise the money for the business and design the labels, buy the ingredients, um, design, uh, finish the formulations and, and all of that. You know, it's interesting. I was, as you were telling your story, I was thinking to myself, you know, how does someone in your shoes at that point sort of go all in and commit to mm-hmm. something where they don't know if it's going to be successful or not? And then I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was starting to think back about your campaign work and I suppose that's the essence of working on a campaign, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it is, it does take that full commitment. I mean, I remember when I, as I said, working in this investment business and before, um, the day that I was going to uh, turn in my resignation and the launch on this tea, I remember calling Barry because, you know, as I said, we hadn't made the tea before at scale. And so I, I was calling him hoping to get one last surge of confidence to, <laughs> to make sure I was taking the right step. And I said, okay, I'm you know, about to leave a good job. And, you know, my wife and I had just had our third son at that time. So, you know, not, not necessarily a great risk profile. Uh, I said to Barry, are you sure we'll be able to make the tea? And and he said, well, I'm pretty sure. Um, but, you know, if you, I bet if you walked in there and asked to take a sabbatical, they'd let you do that, you know, take a, a, a three, three month leave and see if this works. And that wasn't, that wasn't what I was hoping to hear. Um, you know, that would have been sort of, you know, couching my bets. And I, I realized that I really would need to take a full leap. Um, you know, the buyer wasn't going to place an order if he didn't, think I was committed to this. And of course, investors wouldn't invest if I was moonlighting. So it really did take that full, I had to take the full leap. I couldn't just try this on the side. And I think, you know, there are certainly ways to explore. If you have an entrepreneurial appetite on the side, you could do little side projects. But ultimately, if you are going to launch an enterprise, it does take a full commitment. There's no, you can't have any uh, fallback. Yeah, very interesting story. So, so, um, so let's step back now. When we're when we think about um, young young professionals, people you know leaving college and just entering the professional world, you, you've been through it. Uh, it sounds like you've got some kids, maybe on the cusp of that. I'm not sure how old your kids are, but you certainly are in the position to offer advice to your kids at some point. <laughs> yeah, uh, and my so just to ground orient yeah. you, my oldest is 26 and my youngest is 21, so he's graduating from college this spring. 
Oh, there you go. Okay, well, that's perfect then. <laughs> so, so here's a question for you. What, what misconceptions do you think college students have uh, sort of entering the workplace? I think they get into such a pre-professional groove and they think that's what they should be doing. And I just think that's a mistake. Um, you know, it really shouldn't be about, well, do I have this skill? It's really, can you, are you, how flexible, how nimble is your thinking and your, and how capable are you with your abilities? So meaning how can you handle whatever task you are? So I, I discourage my sons from entering these pre-professional tracks because then in a way, what a pre-professional track does, whether it's a business school, or it, it just, it, it, it narrows your sights. And what I want when I look at somebody coming out of college to hire is someone who has the broadest range of thinking and, and abilities. Um, so I would encourage people to think expansively um, and creatively. And so when you, when you, when you only can, can sort of, you know, handle an accounting statement as an example, you're you're stripping away the creativity um, that I think is is so important for at least the kind of work I do. I mean, obviously, if I'm hiring an engineer, yeah, even if I hire an engineer, I want someone who has the skills, but I want them to think, to be able to also think about how it might how it applies to broader concepts. And of course, you think about where the breakthroughs have been in our society, certainly around technology, but even in food as well. It's when people have been able to connect, you know. Some of the, some of the science to some of the broader societal issues we have, and so to me, that's skill set I would encourage people to develop in the thinking. I would encourage them to develop. So I imagine that that's that sort of advice from a curriculum standpoint, like what to study, what to focus on. Earlier, you talked about <clears throat> I think I, I even wrote it down. I thought it was a good term that that you had a buzz of activity in college. You know, from track yeah. to music to student mm-hmm. government and so on. Is that how do you what, what advice do you have around sort of balancing extracurriculars? Yeah, it sounds like yeah. So look, I, I I think it's great when someone can specialize in something, but it's a little like with with young children as athletes too. You know, you you if you're only doing one activity growing up, you <laughs> what if you get sick of it or what if you get injured? You know, so and I, I certainly encourage and all of my sons did do sports through through school, but just don't do one sport. Don't just do one activity. Like, you know, make it, there is a benefit to be well-rounded. And, and so the other um, downside of just doing one sport is you're only associating or connecting with one group of people. Um, and, and college is, you know, that's one of the most amazing aspects of college is you get to have these intense connections with people from all types of different backgrounds and interface. And, and you literally are limiting your education if you're only interacting with a subset of that much wider group. So um, I, I do think it's useful to really, when you can um, pursue certain activities, you get to meet people and really bond with them and be part of a community. So that part's good, but don't limit yourself to just that. How about um, mentoring advice you've had from, from professors, from colleagues even from bosses did, did you get any advice early in your career that that was helpful or maybe even advice that you kind of wished you took just tell us a bit about mentoring and advice yeah um i did I w- i've been really fortunate certainly as i launched honesty we had these great board members um gary hershberg the ceo of stonyfield yogurt and jeff swartz the ceo of timberland but we're an apparel company and they were they were great 
with business advice and even with life advice as well. And I, I still, you know, will run big ideas by them or questions I have. In terms of sort of life advice, I think for me, actually a great model were my parents. Um, they, I think they, what I took away from them, there were three things in life that, that three big decisions they made that um, I think they got right. And, and so I always think about, you know, can you get these big three right? So the first one is, who, who do you spend your life with? And, and um, not everybody <laughs> thinks just in, not in a binary way, but who do you really choose to be your closest partners in, in living life? And so for me, my wife has been that person. And, and uh, so you, wanna, you do want to get somebody who shares your values, who, who can be a thought partner, who can be a creative partner around work or, or around um, other de- key decisions you make. The other one, of course, is what kind of work you do, and and that obviously defines sort of what you how you wake up every day, and what you do. And then the third one is where you do it, um, which community you live in, which community you become a part of. And um, I think my parents got those each of those three things right in terms of they all they they, they were great partners for each other. They um, community they felt very close to in the work they do, and and did literally at least my my um, uh, you know uh, into until they. <laughs> until their last breath was work that they enjoyed and found meaningful. As my father used to say, getting paid to do what you would pay to do <laughs> is a great way uh, to, to make a living. That's, that's great. Uh, and when you, I, I can't help but ask about uh, some of the advisors from, from your company that you've had. How did you, how did you use them? How did you, when did you meet with them? Just sort of like, was it, was, is it a phone call or is is it an email? Is it an in-person? Yeah, different cadence. So someone like um, Gary, who was busy, we would basically just have a monthly check-in and it was, it was, you know, it was something that was scheduled so we wouldn't have to play phone tag. And I would sort of have a list of things that I would put on, you know, sort of say, I'm going to have to ask Gary about that. And then we'd get together and I'd get to ask him about it. Somebody like Jeff was, it was more uh, as the occasion arose, I didn't always have a question for him. That, like, but when I did, he was there and, and uh, we got the chance to, to go through it and, and, and have as, as, long, as much time as needed to really work through um, a big decision. And then, of course, Barry, my co-founder, was also you know, a great advisor. And he, he and I, especially during the intense period, we would talk probably every day um, and just Sometimes it was a short conversation. Sometimes it was long. Sometimes it was him, uh, you know, pushing me. And sometimes it was him, I would say, you know, sort of supporting me uh, or consoling me, depending on, <laughs> on the need. It's funny. I, I was just going to ask that when you just said consoling me. Was there a m- moment in all this where you doubted yourself? Oh, yeah. You have to. Or you don't have to. Well, you do have to because you have to be pushing and stretching and, and trying new things. and so. Well, you know, from the very moment, as I said, I had no experience in the beverage industry. So I remember um, early on, we knew we wanted to have a chai recipe, spicy tea, and or spiced tea. And we found this one supplier who we were really excited about. He made this, we tried a bunch of different recipes and his was by far the best. And when we, um, so we asked him, could we wanted to get a larger bag to make up samples and he took a long time to get that to us. And then we came back and said, well, we wanted to order not just a 10 pound bag, but you know, 200 pounds for our first batch. And he's like, Oh, 200 pounds. He's like, I can't do that. I just grind the spices, you know, in my backyard on the weekend. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so we knew that was going to work. And, and I said to Barry, well, what are we going to do? You know, he says, well, we're going to make our own chai recipe. And I'm like, well, how would we do that? And he says, why is it so hard? And I mean, he gave me some great advice that I, I still take heart, which was, you know, when, when you have a big problem that seems overwhelming, and of course I had had no experience making chai before, he says, just break it down into its smallest components. And so in the case of chai, I literally said, all right, well, what's in chai? And of course, it's a mix of different spices. And what are the spices? Well, it's cardamom and cloves and cinnamon and ginger as well. You know, do we have a place where we can buy those spices? And, you know, we're based in Bethesda, Maryland. It turns out that Baltimore is one of the big spices, spice importing uh, cities. So we found a spice company and sure enough, we managed to, you know, I buy uh, a bunch of each of those spices and then just started blending them in the kitchen until we found a recipe that we liked. So, you know, what had seemed very intimidating was, was just a matter of, you know, first you have to get over the, the big idea and then just say, okay, let's, let's start tackling the, the issue, you know, ingredient by ingredient. So um, that happened a lot. <laughs> that things that seemed imposing, they can be, they can, when you break them into smaller parts, you can figure out how to get it done. And would it have been different alone, do you think? Or I guess it's a hard, it's sort of a, it's a hard thing to yeah. Answer. It would have been. It would have been. And I, I, you know, I, I for me, uh, and I, I encourage this among a lot of you know. Whenever I speak to an entrepreneur, you, you just this is hard work, and and it's something that you first of all, there's no need to if you why why do it alone if you could do it with somebody else. <laughs> it's it's I mean you have to be on the same wavelength with that other person, but when you can have somebody else to bounce your ideas off of, it's just so much healthier so much easier and so much less i mean i was i was always the um the chief executive of the company barry wasn't but there was just less stress knowing that i had somebody to talk to about it well i mean that's what's happened at beyond meat with uh ethan brown there as the ceo but i'm as chair of the board talk to him several times a week and um you know there's big decisions that he uh makes and uh, that we're able to talk through together and i know uh, he still bears most of the burden on these decisions, but it's always easier to know you've got someone else to to talk it through with. Let me just ask you one last question. This has been really interesting. Um, if you could, if you could, if we could sort of rewind, uh, you know, I don't know, however many years ago to your sort of twenty-year-old college self, and your, you know, in the musical and the political organizations and so <laughs> on and so forth. You know, is there? Yeah. A, you know, you've been through a lot. Um, is there a piece of advice that you'd give to the sort of twenty-year-old version of you? <laughs> You know, it's funny. I um, this is probably not the advice you'd expect. It wasn't like I'll do more studying. What I, what I didn't do enough of is I actually probably didn't have as much fun. I, I mean, I enjoyed. For me, it was fun to do these things, but I didn't. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I had fun with the people I was with, and then I. I guess I was just very. Um, I, I'm, I'm sort of have mixed feelings about this advice, but you know, just like enjoy, enjoy the. I, I, I guess I'm correcting myself because I was going to say, you know, I could have done, you know, gone to more parties and stuff, but I had fun. It was just, you know, I guess know what, what, know what, what you enjoy. Um, so I didn't have, I didn't have the typical partying experience of college, um, but that was fine. I was, I was, I was happy in what I was doing. Um, so I guess rather than give my advice to party more, just sort of, you know, figure out what makes you happy uh, and don't, be afraid to pursue that. 
Yeah, that's great. A lot of people when I ask them, I, I, I kind of like this question and a lot of people say, relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I probably could have relaxed a little bit. <laughs> All right. Th- thank you so much. This has been great. Um, uh, sure. So uh, if, if listeners are interested in learning more about you or Beyond Need or Honesty, or where, where can they go? Sure. We, we, well, I have my own uh, Twitter handle, which is HonestSeth. Uh, and then um, Honesty's website is Honesty.com and Beyond Meat is BeyondMeat.com. Lots to see there. All right. Easy enough. Thank you so much again. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Okay, I have right here three people to discuss this very interesting episode with. I've got Sabrina. Hi. Uh, Kevin. Hello. And you, Chen. Hi. And uh, I'd love to hear what you guys thought of the episode. So, um, so what were your reactions when you heard it? I love the fact that Seth um, spent a couple years in China and Russia and how he was really open to experience many things before um, forming his business. Yeah, I was uh, really excited to hear that we were interviewing really the founder of Honest Tea because I have drunk Honest Tea my whole life. (laughs) And so to hear that he has also had this entire history before that from um, teaching English in China and Russia. And then he worked in a political campaign. And it really reminds me of the fact that I'm also planning to be going abroad in the next year and thinking about the kind of variety and breadth of experiences and how that's going to kind of play really interesting ways in my own professional life. Do you guys know that there's some, there's actually psychology research that says that um, that creativity is stimulated by uh, living and working abroad? Oh really? Yeah, that. just wow. in, in general. Oh. So I thought that was interesting that because like I don't think I think I asked them him this on the episode that you know gosh if you were gonna sort of start a new business would your prescription necessarily be to go you know go abroad and try a bunch of random things and I mean interesting things but you know it turns out that that was actually really valuable for him. Yeah, I also really like his experience like in China and Russia because I'm studying abroad. So I really like listening to people's experience, especially like when they are in a different culture. You're studying abroad now, right? Yeah, yeah of you're course. from China. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. from China. So I really like his experience. And also I like like when he talked about like his extracurriculum activities help him to become an intro entrepreneur yeah because like most time my parents always say like I spend too many times like on my club or like on other activities and I should spend more time like on learning but like from his like episode I do think like we should pay more attention to activities that will help us a lot like especially in the future and there was a really valuable thing that he said that I took away from too which is um, it's kind of disdain that he expressed towards pre-professional programs. And I have to say, I did understand one of the nuggets at the bottom of it, which is that sometimes we feel very rushed to go straight from our college mm-hmm. education yeah. directly into the workplace. And I think that there is some truth to the fact that it could be really good to get a more diverse set of experiences that maybe aren't going directly towards where you see yourself in the boardroom, for instance. Um but it's really valuable to be able to go in there and have the creativity to draw from. I think it's interesting. I I, I think if you think about all our episodes, you know, I'm, the one that pops in my head is is Morning Brew, for instance. You know, he 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 didn't go travel abroad and you know teach English and you know 
work on political campaigns and sort of like meander his way towards a amazing business. He actually started in college <laughs> in a very straightforward path. So I, I mean, to me, like the big point is that there are multiple paths to success, right? Yeah. To me, that's the big point. And you right. got to choose one that works for you. Yeah, I was going to say something about that too, because I know a lot of people, when they get to the stage where I am now, like a junior, senior, they'll start getting anxious about getting like a good job and stuff. But there there are actually a lot of paths to go about your career. And, you know, there's no recipe for success. So as long as you enjoy yourself and like learn as much as you can from whatever that's happening around you, that should be that should be your recipe for success. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, uh, why don't we uh, end end that here? I, I think it's a really cool episode, and uh, you know, we're we're not sponsoring Honest Tea per se, but I, I think we're all fans, right? Yeah, yeah we're peach awesome. tea. Oh, yeah. Peach yeah. tea. Yeah, we love it. Right. Um, so, yeah, just so you know, y'all, um, this podcast and the content goes way beyond just listening. Um, if you ever want to get anything on your commute to work. Um, on the bus, you can always check us out at From the Dorm Room Podcast on Instagram or on Twitter and Facebook at From the Dorm Room. And we will uh, see you next time. Thank you for listening to From the Dorm Room to the Boardroom. If you're interested in learning more about the work that I do and helping people step outside their comfort zones and transition successfully into the professional world, please visit my website, www.andymolinsky.com. That's A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. And also feel free to email me directly at andy at andymolinsky.com with any feedback or ideas for guests for future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Brandeis University's International Business School. By teaching rigorous business, finance, and economics, connecting students to best practices, and immersing them in international experiences, Brandeis International Business School prepares exceptional individuals from around the globe to become principled professionals in companies and public institutions worldwide. Thank you so much for listening.